0: Welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date on the trends and drivers of grain, livestock and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar and joining me today, we've got our resident grain commentator, Nick Booth from Next Level Grain Marketing. What we've got in store for today's episode, will have a bit of a quick update on sheep and lamb markets with some interesting moves happening there and then we'll turn to Nick for what's going on in the grain markets because there's certainly been a bit of a change in direction over the last week as the market turns to not what's going on this harvest but what's happening next season in the northern hemisphere. But first a wrap up for our podcast sponsor this week, Karawera Marino's. Their ram sale is finally just around the corner on Monday the 2nd of November on Auctions Plus. I've had a bit of a look at their videos they've been posting on Twitter of the rams and they're looking very good. There's plenty of other videos and wool pictures and data on Auctions Plus as well. So if you're in the market for some top merino genetics be sure to get onto the Karawera ram sale and we wish the team over there all the very best for Monday. So to start out with for lamb, we've definitely seen some strong signals from the market lately. Uh, It was about a fortnight ago when the rally in lamb prices stopped, and we saw producers respond to that by pulling back yardings. On the east coast, lamb yardings fell 39% in response to a nearly 50 cent fall in the eastern states trade lamb indicator. And it was mainly New South Wales and South Australia that pulled back yardings and showed that strong resistance, but Victoria also contributed as well. So it's in Victoria where we usually have the rush of lambs coming on around this time of year, particularly out of Hamilton and and Ballarat where all the new lambs are rolling in. And it's those strong southern supplies that push yardings 170% higher from the end of October through to the end of December. But last time there was a La Nina, that really threw out the usual trend of rising yardings by about a month. So when we get a solid spring rains, as we have done this season, we can see that producers can hold on to their lambs for more weight rather than selling at the usual time. Back in 2010, when we last had the La Nina event, the rally in lamb yardings in Victoria didn't start until the end of November, and it also didn't get to the normal, usual peak levels. The big question we're looking at now in lamb markets is what will happen to price when yardings do pick up and the flush really steps into gear in the south? In your average year, trade land prices fall from September or October through until the end of the year. But we did have that strong market rally in September, early October, and now we've seen last week that prices have improved because producers are willing to hold back supply. So we have our fingers crossed for a bit of a repeat of the trend we saw in 2010 when trade land prices actually went sideways, and that was even when yardings did rally hard in November. So we'll be watching out for signs of that in the next week or two. And now we'll we'll move across from one interesting market to another and we'll talk about grains. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Nick. It's been a little while since we've spoken about grains on here and given there's been a bit of a, a change in direction of late, I thought it'd be a good time to get you back in and we'll have a bit of a chat about what's going on.
1: Thanks, Olivia. Yeah, um, it's it's obviously topical with, with uh, harvest upon us, um, so... Yeah, happy to talk um, about it at any stage. So.
0: Yeah so give us a bit of a lowdown on the local situation now, I mean we're hearing on the east coast a lot, lot of that rain's causing a bit of issue with people trying to get their harvest done and sorted, so what's what's going on in South Australia?
1: Probably a little bit similar, um, harvesters, oh, it, we're really just sort of creeping in around the edges at this stage, it's, it's really in its infancy but yeah, it's it's been very stop start from from what I can tell. Um, certainly, clients um, on Air Peninsula over here um, are finding it uh, tough going. Get a couple of uh, couple of hours in a day, um, just waiting for the uh, the moisture to come down. And crops pretty tough. They're pretty green too after the rains we've had. So, so they're sort of having to pick and choose where they can, where, what they can access at this stage.
0: And so that seems sort of the situation, pretty widespread as well in other areas.
1: Oh, I think so. I think the, the weather pattern that we've seen in the last um, last month has meant that you know, some areas in South Australia, probably ugh, over the East Coast as well, have received some pretty big rains. Um, so obviously, you know, the, the later areas will, will certainly benefit. Um, some of the um, the areas um, earlier areas will, will probably find it more of nuisance value I, I can I've seen photos and I've heard plenty of stories of guys with barley and wheat that you know that the primary grains look like they're ready to go um, but underneath it it's green as grass um, with new sort of tillers and new heads sort of coming through so it's a yeah, it's uh i don't know you know what do you do it's a um it's a it's a it's a tricky situation for him so it's going to be a bit of a protracted harvest i suspect
0: yeah a lot of build-up i suppose and, and hype leading into this one and it's um taken a bit of shine off it i guess
1: hopefully you know it's certainly it's going to be particularly for those guys on the east coast you know it's um yeah they're certainly overdue for a um for a payday as it were mm-hmm. um but um, yeah, hopefully it's still early enough in the season that that we we can avoid some weather damage, and you know, they'll get a, a stretch of um, clear weather to, to make some inroads.
0: Fingers crossed for it all. And main thing, and we wanted to talk about today was the price direction change. And mm. I know what you've been reporting on um, lately on Macato is that we had a big, strong rally over the last few months. So can you give us a bit of a bit of a backstory as to what was driving that? rally and how it's changed since then
1: yeah certainly there's there's been a number of factors that have really pushed uh global uh, wheat values um up in the last uh the last couple of months i guess um and yeah you know, timing wise it's been perfect for for australian growers to to um you know get some good cover on um at prices you know well over sort of 300 a ton for apw so then you know, i think that the main catalyst for uh, this rally, I mean, it's been dry in the in the Black Sea region. Um, I think up until recently they've only had sort of twenty percent of their their normal rains uh, to date, um, so abnormally dry. It had been dry through the US plains, so all both of these areas are. Winter wheat growing areas, so the the crop needs to be, you know, needs to go in the ground. It needs to get established, develop secondary roots, a decent amount of vegetative growth before winter comes, so it can survive you know, dormancy. Um, with the dry conditions, obviously, there were some big concerns around the ability for the crop to um, to get through winter. Certainly, yeah, you know, there's been other factors as well. Um, Argentina's been dry, and that's that's a uh, another area where um, you know I think um, for their wheat, um, which will come off in around sort of February or so, um, that sort of needed a, a good drink. Um, but the the other you know, factors at play just include demand from China. China, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one. They the amount of of all feed commodities that they've been importing is just off the charts um so you have a i guess a situation where we're having concerns around production for the new crop uh, not this coming harvest but the the new crop um in the northern hemisphere um and then you have i guess this you know, this this demand that's that's through the roof um is all sort of contributed to a um a really buoyant wheat market for the time being
0: yeah, so it's really that um, soybean and, and corn demand situation out of China that's been pulling it up over the last few months.
1: There's certainly, yeah, there's definitely a correlation. Um, you know, well, China's, like I said, is, is off the charts in terms of 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 its demand. Um, I think some of the, the typhoons and uh, flooding that they had earlier in the year has probably done more damage um, to you know, their their crops than I think anyone realised. So they've they they've been uh, embarking on a period of, of trying to rebuild their stocks. So I guess that's that's or their yeah their domestic reserves. So that's that certainly contributed to the rise in corn and soybean. And the three main ag commodities, you know, wheat, corn and beans, you know, they all they tend to play a bit of a, a balancing act, um, as a means of I guess making sure that the the appropriate area of each of the commodities remains in in balance relative to demand so you can't have corn being shoveled out quick smart without it affecting wheat as well you know they they obviously can be replaced or they can replace each other um in the feed ration so you know when when corn goes or beans go wheat tends to follow
0: it's a big story of that African swine fever and, you know, China trying to build up their herds back again that I suppose would be playing into their decisions to try and stock up and build those reserves of feed really quickly and um, make sure they've got that for when the herds do get back to the size that they want them.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, globally, I think everyone's a lot more conscious of food security now um, since the, um, the COVID pandemic pandemic. Um, mm-hmm certainly uh, became part of the the lexicon um, so so i think you know china being a, a very insular state um, like to be self-sufficient where they can um, so i think it's important that they or well, they feel that it is important that they they have their food security um, in place to i guess reduce inflation and and that sort of thing
0: are you seeing that in any other countries as well, where they're probably taking on more than would be normally expected, because you know they're trying to build up stocks in case, um, you know, the pandemic situation gets worse?
1: Yeah, I think we. I think what's happened is that the the trade flows. Um, so your, your your food insecure countries, your Middle East, um, Africa, yeah, uh, you know, Southeast Asia, some of these countries. They front-ended a lot of their demand, so rather than seeing um, demand stretch out throughout the year, I think you know, another contributing factor that we've seen to help support the market is is that a lot of countries are, are front-ending and, and buying big early, which is um, you know just as I guess we assume that it's it's as a means of having some confidence of of, um, of supplies in case there is further lockdowns going forward.
0: So in the last week or so, I think it we've seen that the market has come off. Can mm. you tell us a bit about what's been the catalyst to that?
1: Yeah, well, we, we talked about the you know what was holding the market up. Um, well, it's, it's turned out in about the space of a week we've seen. Rain in in the Black Sea, particularly the southern regions. Um, we've seen rain and snow through the US plains, um, concentrated on Oklahoma and Texas, and, and eastern parts of Kansas, um, and and a bit of rain through through Argentina as well. So so yeah, you know, for the from the wheat perspective, the three pillars of that, that support have really you know there there doesn't seem to be the concern there so the market a lot of the risk premium that had been built into the prices has is gradually being whittled away so um, it's not to say that and I I have to stress there's no correlation between a poor start and a poor finish um, with a lot of these countries so uh, if you, yeah, you know, any of your uh, listeners may recall that Russia had a, a dry start last year, but they ended up stripping, you know, 85 million tonne of wheat. So it's, uh, you know, so th- I think that was one of the catalysts to, for the market to get excited, if you like, to get a bit uh, nervous about the fact of supply going forward. But I think now that it's rained, um, it, the conditions appear to be mild. Um, through southern Russia, which means the crop should get established. Um, and we should see um, you know, that, that crop sort of enter dormancy as the temperatures start to cool down, you know, in pretty good fashion. So it is a um, it's it's a it's a big factor and we've seen you know the market probably lose, as of today, probably sort of 25 cents um, a bushel, which is probably equivalent to about 10 bucks a ton
0: yeah and so that's wheat. What about barley i mean we we did see earlier in the season, of course, when China introduced that tariff we got a big cut on the price there yeah is that sort of got much more room to to move down with the rest of the grain complex yeah,
1: b- barley's a is a tricky one um because it, it doesn't actually have a a natural hedge um I mean, there's, you could, you could look at the food grains and, or feed grains rather, um, and, and traditionally, um, the spread between wheat and barley is about $40 a tonne. Um, right at the moment, it's about close to 80 So I would suggest that for that, well, not that reason alone, but I'd suggest that barley pro- has probably found its flaw. Um, I think barley... Um, Australian barley is among the cheapest in the world. Um, Certainly, we we don't appear to have access uh, into China for the time being, but there will be demand um, into Saudi. There'll be demand into some of the uh, Northern African nations. There'll be some demand into Southeast Asia as well. So uh, of all the commodities that we're looking at, I think um, barley probably has, if anything, um, probably some ongoing support underneath it.
0: Yeah, I mean, when when it all was all first announced about China, everyone was sort of looking at it going, oh, where will it go, where will it go? But end of the day, it always finds a home. It's just the price that's the question mark.
1: Yeah, correct. I mean, I don't think we'll see, you know, we've lost a, a 6 million tonne type of market, so it is going to take some time um, to recover. Um, our price is, like I say, is, is amongst some of the cheapest in the world, so we should find markets. Um, it just might take a little bit of time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's probably a pretty good place to leave it, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us on Commodity Conversations today. and We'll talk to you again soon.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Olivia.
0: Thanks for listening in to another week of Commodity Conversations by Mikado. As always, we'd love it if you could share the podcast around with your family and friends or leave us a review. Or you can always sign up to more regular market updates on the Mikado website. I hope all our listeners in Victoria and more particularly in Melbourne have an amazing weekend enjoying the new freedoms. We'll talk to you again next week.
1: This podcast was
0: brought to you by the team at Mikado. Audio production by David Myers. Thanks for listening in
1: and have a great weekend.